Good afternoon, Christ Central. If you have your Bibles, it'll also be projected overhead. Coming to the, toward the end of the Gospel of John series, we'll get into the Christmas Advent season in a couple weeks. But John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, 11 and 12, 19 and 20 for now. And I'll read some other verses later. The resurrection and appearances of Jesus. Let's give our attention to this. I'll read it for us. Chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the author himself, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Verses 11 and 12. But Mary, the same Mary Magdalene, stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now verses 19 and 20, jumping ahead to that evening where the disciples are huddled together. Verse 19 and 20, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Okay, this is God's word. God's word. Well, three episodes, actually four, that make up John chapter 20. I'll just begin by telling you the main point. The main point. The main point of all these episodes in this entire chapter is to communicate the resurrection of Jesus Christ was an actual, physical, bodily, historic event. Yeah, that's the main point. The main point is the gospel authors and all Christian believers throughout history believe in a miracle. I'm not talking about metaphorical, symbolic, for inspiration. No, these records are saying plainly, Jesus actually got up from death, bodily, physically. I've just got two more points to support the main point. Two more points to support the main point. The first, only the resurrection of Jesus solves historical puzzles. Only the resurrection solves historical puzzles. There were lots of self-proclaimed messiahs and saviors in Jesus' day. Do you know which country right now currently boasts of it? I won't say. Go look it up. It's a little embarrassing. But self-proclaimed messiahs and saviors, lots of them in Jesus' day. But you can guarantee once the leader died, the movement would die. Once the hero champion who said, I'm divine, follow me, da 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 once he died, the followers would abandon that leader. Okay, why did this not happen with Jesus? Why did this not happen with Jesus? Second puzzle, if you read the narratives, they're very bare bones. Very, um, I would say, almost dry, straightforward. She went and looked, didn't see him, asked the disciples. They ran there. They're all huddled at night. Very bare bones. 
I know if you and I wrote something like this, we would all have the tendency to embellish something, make it fantastic. C.S. Lewis, who is a professor of comparative literature, when he read the Gospels, one of the ways he became a Christian was, these Gospels don't read like any other genre. They're not fantasy. They're historic. They're pure eyewitness. And it's so bare bones, isn't it? It's not like, OMG, with like five exclamation points after that. Oh my gosh, the best ever. No, not, nothing like that. There's no lightning bolts. There's no neon signs. There's no, there's no like talking crosses. There's no unicorns or rainbows. They just say, Jesus got crucified. And three days later, even though nobody could even have imagined it, he appeared and showed up after his crucifixion. This is the second puzzle. Why the gospel records are not embellished, but very factual and straightforward. Why would they write it that way? Well, they just wanted to get across the truth. And here's a, here's a third. There's so many others, but I think this is, this is one of the bigger ones. Who was the first person who was at the empty tomb? Early, while it's still dark. Men were probably still sleeping. Same thing today. Why was a woman at the tomb early? Who, what was her name? Mary Magdalene. And almost under all circumstances, the testimony of women were inadmissible in a court of law. So, if you're going to be fanciful, if you're going to fabricate a whole new religion, social purposes, economic purposes, political purposes, whatever, the disciples want to start their own movement, want to take over the world, you would never, never start, though, with the first witness being Mary Magdalene. That would be senseless. It would be, I'm sorry to say, a stupid fabrication. It would be stupid to do that in Jesus' day. So why did they do it? Why is verse 1 of chapter 20, upon the grand resurrection, Mary got there first. Why do they talk about that? Why do the gospel authors include that? It's because that's what happened. Because it was true. Mary got there first. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most bedrock event in all of Christian history. I don't know how many other ways I can say that. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important historic event to Christian faith. So this afternoon, I'm going to help you out a little bit. If you want to have nothing to do with Christianity ever again, you want to get rid of it, kill it. I want to kill Christianity because it's such a fraud. It's so not helpful. Then good. Start with the resurrection. Destroy that. Or if you really want to understand the essence of Christianity and be converted and changed by it, start with the resurrection. Begin here. You kill it or get converted by it. Same event. It's the most important event. Apostle Paul said, Christians are like wasting their time. It's a total waste of time. Christians are the most foolish people, the most senseless people, the most pitiful people if Jesus didn't resurrect. There's no forgiveness of sins if Jesus did not resurrect. There's no hope after death if Jesus didn't resurrect. Lives cannot be touched and healed if Jesus did not resurrect. 
over this Thanksgiving break while I was in Maine and Virginia. I got to share with someone I really care about because he asked me, I know you're a pastor, but why are you a Christian? Harold, you seem like you're fairly intelligent and getting middle-aged. You still believe and follow Jesus. Why? Why? And I've got that one. That one I've got prepared. I'll share it with you again. I say, you know, there's a top 10 list. Like the Bible reads like no other book. There's things that God has done. But number one has always been number one. Maybe it might change, but it's my number one. I explained to him, I still, I just still haven't found a better explanation that makes sense of history, the empty tomb, that makes sense of the rise and explosion of Christianity, and for all the changed lives starting with mine, other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My number one reason why I still believe and follow Jesus, not because I got it all together, it's just that the resurrection got me. There's no better explanation that makes sense of history. The rise of Christianity and the many, 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 many genuinely changed lives, starting with my own. You know, this Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for all the normal things. Family, friends, church, turkey, even redskin football when I was out there. I was even thankful for that. But there's a new thing I'm more thankful for. Hope, hope. I never thought I would need hope. But man, as I get a little older, Holy Spirit gives me more hope. I'm more prone to be depressed. I walked out of a Holocaust museum for a day. I was depressed. And hope comes from someone who got up from death and tells me the best is yet to come. So it's its historicity. It's its historicity that makes me a believer still today. He came back, and as many others are popular in my conversation with friends who may yet believe, have yet to believe. Here's one of the most popular objections. You know, come on, Harold. We all know, though, the early disciples really wanted this to work. They really wanted to believe that Jesus rose from death, so they made it up. They stole the body, or they faked it, or something. Or they wanted it to believe so much that they hallucinated it. You see, they imagined it. But look at the record. Look at the record. Can you please pay attention to the scriptural eyewitness record? Does it sound like that even when they're writing their own stories, does it sound like, oh, I was so ready to believe. Read every account. Everyone is slow to believe, doesn't want to believe, and they can't even fathom and imagine he's risen again. In other words, they sound just like you and me. They weren't more spiritual than you and me. Oh, I know those are ancient times. They don't have Apple technology and science yet. They must have just been more naive. No, no. They were not more prone to believe in the resurrection than you and I would be this day. There's this magisterial work called The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright. It's applauded by Muslim scholars, Jewish scholars, and Christians alike. Got a standing ovation when he presented the thesis of this book, this paper. It's by N.T. Wright. Here's one of his theses in the book. Resurrection cannot have been invented by the early Christian community because the idea of a Messiah dying and being bodily raised to eternal life was completely unexpected in Jewish theology. You can't dream of things that's not in your subconscious. You don't imagine and hallucinate things. If it's not even on the radar, nowhere on the radar, that's N.T. Wright's point. Oh, let's just add to the biblical record. Do you think the disciples made this up, fabricated, it's imagined? 
Look at the utter surprise by every character when they meet Jesus. Look at the complete lack of planning and expectation by everyone. Look at how no male disciple was at the tomb. Do you know how many times Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again? How many people believe that? There's no one there. There's nobody there. So these aren't people who are like wanting to believe, ready to believe. They were just born the churchy, spiritual type of people. They're not. They're not. They're just like you and me. We'll get to it later. Mary Magdalene should crack you up how much it took for her to start to believe. She talked to two angels and she still couldn't believe. But the historicity of this, it smells and feels. It reads that this is an actual physical bodily event. Here's a second sub-point. We're done. The main point, resurrection is an actual, physical, miraculous, bodily event. First, first point to, to, to support that. Only the resurrection solves historical puzzles. Here's a second, more important. More important. Only the resurrection of Jesus changes lives like nothing else can. I am not saying your life can't change without Jesus. However, only the resurrection of Jesus can change your life like nothing else can. Nothing can come close. In this room, let me ask you, what would it take for your current worldview to be demolished and completely remade? Whether you're Christian or not, my question is, what would it take for you to have all your current education, cultural values, beliefs, morals, convictions just rocked? What would it take for you to have a paradigm like mind-melding, worldview-changing occurrence to happen? You understand what I'm asking? What would it take for that to happen? So my very thoughtful relative over Thanksgiving break said, you know, Harold, I... I've come to believe in a possible multiverse, possible multiverse in the vast cosmos. And I basically said, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. I'm not versed in multiverse. But he said, no, here's what I mean, Harold. <clears throat> what would happen to your Christian worldview, Harold, if intelligent life from somewhere else came in contact with planet Earth and intelligent life aliens showed up on planet Earth? Wouldn't that rock your current Christian worldview? I, I, I looked at him and said, yeah, I think it would. I'd really get rocked. I don't know if I cease to be a Christian, but my worldview would get rocked. He goes, see? See? How do you know that's not out there? And I said, you're right. Can you show me evidence there's aliens? Takes, it takes faith either way to believe Jesus rose from death or there's aliens who are out there more intelligent than us. But why do I bring up that, why do I bring up that actual conversation this week? It dawned on me for my relative to become a Christian, or for me as a current Christian to believe in aliens, something so magnificent, something so overwhelming would have to happen for either of us to change our worldviews. And what we're seeing here, my friends, is for sure that something happened to them. Whatever it, it would take for you to be Christian, non-Christian, agnostic, pluralist, who knows? What would rock your current worldview and change it 
All I'm saying is the early disciples and followers had that cataclysmic event happen to them. Here's what happened to them. Every single one says it. Here's what happened to him. We know he got crucified and died. We were all scared and hiding. But then he showed up again. That dead Jesus, I swear, I swear, he walked through a wall and talked to me. That crucified Jesus ate breakfast with me. That's next week, John 21. The dead guy showed up. And I had a relationship with him. That's what happened to them. That's what happened to them. Listen, you know up to this point, by my understanding, all the male disciples, at least, all the male followers were quote-unquote, they're not yet believers yet. They have not become quote-unquote Christians yet. You're not a Christian because you like Jesus' teaching. You're not a Christian because you believe he can perform miracles. You're not a Christian because you think he could heal your marriage or raise your kids good. You're not a Christian because he makes you nicer. All the male disciples followed and heard Jesus, and he promised time and time and time again, I'm going to die and cruci crucify it and rise again. Do you know what they didn't believe? They're not yet Christian yet. Why? They didn't believe Jesus was going to rise from death because that would take a miracle. But here's what Apostle Peter says in chapter 1, verse 3. First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what Peter's saying. This is how anyone actually becomes Christian. You get a living hope. The Holy Spirit witnesses and breathes it into your soul. A Christian can never be hopeless. Until you're a Christian, you will be hopeless and despairing. But there's a living hope that starts breathing in you. Why? How? Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. New birth, new conversion, new Christian life only happens because of the historic, bodily, literal resurrection of Jesus. And then he changes lives. He changes lives. Look at how he changed the disciples' life. We're just going to start backwards. Verse 19 and 20. Why were the doors locked at the first day, the first evening? Why are the doors locked? Why are all the disciples huddled there on the first Easter evening? Why are the doors locked? They don't want to be found. They're ashamed. They deserted Jesus. Or they're scared of being arrested. Their Messiah, Savior has died. They think it's all just worthless now. Doors locked. Jesus in his glorified body passes through those physical barriers. And if he showed up at your small group, if he physically showed up in your room, what would you do? Probably shriek and freak out. That's what everyone does. So the first thing he has to say is, peace be with you. By the way, he has to say it three times in this chapter. Were these the bold, spiritual, oh, they just believe things? No, they were scared to death when Jesus showed up. So he has to say, peace be with you. And Jesus passes through physical barriers to reassure his disciples, I'm not going to crush you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm actually going to love you and save you and use you for good. I'm going to forgive all your sins. That's why I rose. That's why I died. That's why I rose. And I'm coming back for you. Peace be with you. You're going to be right with me. We're good. 
And the disciples' lives changed from fear, isolation, hiding, self-consciousness, shame, desertion. In the Richard Nixon administration, one of his right-hand men was a man by the name of Chuck Colson, Charles Colson. And he was convicted and tried and thrown in prison for the Watergate scandal cover-up. Chuck Colson went to prison for the Watergate scandal cover-up. And in prison, Charles Colson became a Christian because he reasoned. To not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ would mean that over 500 people on separate occasions witnessed that Jesus was alive, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chuck Colson being experienced at a high political professional level of covering things up became a Christian because he reasoned, but the people who are supposedly covering up the resurrection of Jesus, every single one is willing to risk their reputation, their livelihood, their name, their family, and their very lives, and not one recanted. So Chuck Colson says he became a Christian because of the quality and the character of the eyewitness records of the early believers. Change lives. Change lives. How do people go from being so afraid of what people think of you and Christians to winsome, wise? I'm not saying be obnoxious, winsome and wise and bold. Jesus is alive. That's the disciples. Oh, look at Thomas. I'll just read the verses about his episode. And I will put my own color commentary before I read it. He's popularly known as Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. I do think that's too weak of a word. I think he is defiant Thomas. Picking up at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless. <laughs> you got to love this guy. This is great. We have seen, unless I See in his hands the mark of the nails. Place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. I will never believe. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Here's defiant Thomas. Here's defiant Thomas. Here's you and me. I will not believe in such a thing until I can touch it, taste it, verify it, prove it. And do you know what Jesus did with him? Nobody else makes these demands in all of the New Testament before they believe. Nobody dares to say, unless, God, you meet my standards of rational verification, then I won't believe. But here's the guy who does it. And lo and behold, Jesus actually shows up and does it. He accommodates him. But I'm going to venture to guess this afternoon. Do you know way more than scientific or rational objections for you to come to really believe Jesus is Lord and God? The harder barriers are experiential. The harder barriers are relational. The harder barriers are addictions. The harder barriers are abuse. The harder barriers are really the hypocrisy and the bad experiences with institutional religion. 
And Jesus, at one point, not only clears all the rational objections, but when he speaks tender words of truth and total acceptance, peace be with you, peace be with you, Thomas. I'm not going to condemn you. Here I am. Put your hand here, put your finger here, but I'm also going to heal all the barriers that you got on your heart. And you know, in the entire Gospel of John, the same guy who gave the highest audacious demands before he believed is also the same guy who's the first to proclaim the highest profession. My Lord and my God. Comes from defiant Thomas. So the previous conditions for Thomas to disbelieve disappear when Jesus appears. Interesting note, eight days later, notice how Thomas met with Jesus not by himself in his room. He was back with the company of the disciples. There is miracles that happen. Jesus shows up in the company, the community of the saints, the church. And when our church, the Christ Central, continues to really welcome, really welcome, and you can belong to a church with any question, all kinds of struggle, defiance even, Stubborn defiance. You're at least honest about it. Let's see what Jesus can do. Change lives. Change lives. Only the resurrection can change lives like this. Last one, and we close. I really like her. Mary of Mary Magdalene. Mary of Magdala, verses 1 and 2. She comes into the empty tomb. Rationally, the best theory is this. Oh, body's gone. Roman soldiers must have rolled the stone away and put him somewhere else. That's what she tells Peter. That's her report. It gets even better. Then in verse 11 and 12, she's crying outside the tomb, weeping. She goes back and looks into the end of the tomb, and what does she see? An angel dressed in white at the head and an angel dressed in white at the feet. Talk about a person who is, doesn't want to believe. She sees and talks to two angels and still has no imagination to ever consider Jesus might be alive. So she sees an empty tomb, thinks the soldiers took the body away. Then she talks to two angels and then she's still distraught and she's crying outside the tomb and she turns around and sees this guy and the text tells us who does she think it is. She thought it was the gardener. She thought it was the gardener. A regular dude, just an ordinary guy just standing there. And she started talking to him. But that him, that gardener-looking guy, says one word. He says her name. Mary. And all the dominoes fall into place. Must have been his voice. Must have been his accent. Just must have been the way he says Mary. And here is a woman who was not only slow to believe. Listen, pay attention. If you talk to two angels and you still don't believe, you just don't want to believe. She's not slow to believe. She doesn't want to believe. She has no idea how to believe. And then Jesus could have just left her until she figured it all out by reading books or going through life. And she could have left her all confused. No, Jesus makes the first move. He's so personal. He not only shows up to her, waits for her. He speaks to her and he says her name. He says her name. And on the spot, Rabboni, 
teacher, Lord, you're alive. Her life has changed. Never be the same. Never be the same. Now here's why I really like Mary Magdalene. How does someone get peace with God? Peace be with you. How does someone get the blessing of believing, even if you haven't seen him? How do you get forgiveness of your sins? How do you get right with God? That is the billion dollar question, is it not? How do you get this? Notice all these occasions. You don't get it. Jesus comes to you and gives it to you. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. You know, your mind can take you very far. And you should use your mind. Christianity is a religion of the mind. It'll take you really, really far, but it'll never take you all the way. You should listen to your heart. It'll take you really far, but it'll never give you faith. You should look at the world, and you should recount at Thanksgiving seasons how your story's been playing out, and you should be able to see the fingerprints of God all over it, but that won't give you faith. The only person who's going to give you faith is when Jesus shows up into your life and speaks your name. And it's free. It's free. And I'll tell you it's free. Because this same Mary of Magdalene in Luke chapter 8 tells us she was not just mentally ill. Please do not make the mistake she had a mental illness. It's a psychiatric problem. She has a personality disorder. No. Scripture said she was not only demon-possessed, she had a legion of demons. That's a myriad of demons. And Jesus came and drove all those demons out. This is the same Mary of Magdalene. Now, Jesus, if you're going to start a religion and you're going to take over the world with the movement, with your name attached to it, who are you going to pick first? Who will be your first eyewitness that everyone's going to have to go and verify with? Not only is it a woman, but it would be what everyone thought. There's the mad woman. There's the woman who's lost her mind. There's the woman with the scandalous, shady past. There's the woman with an obvious, obvious weakness and disability. There she is. But Jesus says, I'm going to choose you. Let's start here. That's how I know it's free. That is the only reason I get to believe and still follow Jesus today. No explanation makes better sense. And no one is alive and well and continues to change lives, starting with mine. So to the fearful, Jesus says again and again, peace be with you, peace be with you. To the skeptical, analytical, scientific, good. But here's what Jesus says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then here is the author, John, who closes off chapter 20, the purpose behind why we went through this gospel. Here it is, verses 30 and 31, and we close here. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for that. Father in heaven.